Well, a very good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Entering Stage Right. I am D. Paul Thomas, actor and playwright, podcasting from the heartland of America right here in old Indianapolis, Indiana. And joining me all the way from the left coast, but always entering stage right, is my wonderful co-host, the actor, the director of some of the biggest hits in TV history, who has a special announcement for us today, Mr. Philip Charles McKenzie. And a, a very good day to you, Philip. How's everything out in L.A.? And share with us the good news today. Well, it's very beautiful in L.A., and uh, today we are two against one because we have a guest who is right down the road (laughs) from me here in Los Angeles. Um, We have had um, Alan Barton on before, and Alan is uh, the uh, owner and CEO of the Beverly Hills Playhouse, which is one of the uh, premier uh, training training centers for actors uh, on the West Coast, and... um, and uh, Alan is also a playwright and a concert pianist. And uh, one of the reasons Alice, uh, Alan is on with us today, uh, aside from talking about other things which we'll get to, is that uh, Alan's got a brand new play that he has written that is opening at the Beverly Hills Playhouse um, uh, outrage. Next week, uh, out, which is outrage, which is <laughs> which would be. Um, uh, next week, um, on, on next weekend, opening on the 20th of October. So I have a long way around of saying hello, Alan, and welcome back to, uh, entering stage, right? Hey guys, it's been a, it's been a while. I quarter, I looked on my calendar. I think it's been, I came on in January. So, oh, well, that's way, that, yeah. within a year. That, that's, that's way too long. Um, uh, you know, uh, let, let me see if I can do any justice to leading, leading you into talking a little bit about the play, if I may. Uh, one of the things, and we've talked about this when Alan's been on the show before, is uh, when, uh, after the George Floyd thing and the pandemic and all of that happened, um, and the, a lot of people um, in the arts, so to speak, uh, jumped on the leftist uh, bandwagon and wanted to, uh, wanted to you know, uh, cancel people and, 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 and be outrageous and make outrageous statements. Um, and Alan essentially said, being, you know, owning the, being the CEO of the Beverly Hills Playhouse, essentially said, if you don't like it, you can leave. Um, in terms of them being, you know, little, uh, little wounded, little wounded, uh, you know, people, and um, Alan uh, very well survived um, that. Uh, the Beverly Hills Playhouse uh, uh, is is still thriving, and uh, and the play Outrage, if I may say, uh, seems to um, come from your experience with not only with the Beverly Hills Playhouse, but with friends who. Um, uh, jumped on the bandwagon of um, uh, self-important leftist polis- politics. So, uh, Alan, tell us a bit. Tell us what what um, inspired you to write the play. Well, it's uh, I had started writing this pre-pandemic, so I was between two other projects, both of which were sort of serious in tone. Uh, one being Disconnection, my my 2015 play about Scientology. And then, uh, and then I was commissioned to write a piece about uh, a nonfiction piece about a doctor who was dying of cancer and how he was processing that. So I was in the middle of these two sort of very serious, 
the, the tone of it was serious and I, I was yearning to be kind of irreverent and irresponsible and funny and outrageous. And so I, <laughs> even in 2018, I was noodling around with a play that was at that time kind of like a day in the life of a guy like me just dealing with this sort of what I consider the stupidity of the current world and the political correctness and the bureaucracy. And it was like a guy just going through his day. The smoke detectors didn't work, the school board meeting, the, you know, just the kind of things that modern life are dealing out to like an average person, you know, trying to verify your address for the school board, that kind of thing. Um, and so I had this draft of what was kind of an irreverent one act play back then. And then uh, towards the end of 2019, this other play about the doctor, it was a commissioned piece. I wasn't in control of it, but I offered to them, I said, listen, let me direct a workshop production of this. We keep on doing these stage readings. We're doing them at nice theaters, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be moving the ball. Maybe if we stage it and I'll stage it with my actors at my theater, we can show people what this play is really like and not with actors just sitting and stools reading in front of an audience right so the guy who was the producer said yeah that's a good idea so i got to work on that and then <laughs> we opened in february of 2020 and our last performance was a certain date known as march 15 2020 <laughs> is that date familiar to you oh yes yes uh, yeah we were we the were age quite, of march <laughs> yeah we were quite literally i truly believe the last performance in los angeles before yeah. we lost our minds and then, uh, so the theater shut down, my classes are shut down, the business is shut down, I'm reeling from the economic consequences of all this. Uh, and then you had the George Floyd riots, the incident, and then the riots and the Black Lives Matter kind <clears throat> of uh, fever that swept through Hollywood and I got, I got caught up in that. And uh, I, I was determined to be not sufficiently ardent and uh, vocal in my support. And so I was canceled and, and we've talked about that on previous podcasts. Right, right. So it was really quite, uh, it's quite something to go through. Uh, it's, it's horrifying, but what I found as I made my way through the business apocalypse and trying to get reopened and COVID and all this stuff that we were going through, 2020, 21, 22, was that there was a really uh, pretty significant cost on long-term relationships. <laughs> the people who participated in the sort of in-the-moment anger and acrimony and defamation that was happening to me in that feverish moment in 2020, a lot of those were newer relationships. It was still shocking, but you didn't have so much invested in some of those relationships. What I found uh, disappointing to say the least, maybe uh, depressing, uh, would be more accurate was that the long-term relationships, the people who you expected to stand up and say something and defend the place or defend me, or, you know, just the basics people who've known me 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, right. I'm getting old enough that I can say 30 years. Even if they disagree with you, yeah, exactly. which is one thing that what, what got me about the what, what happened in reality and what is um, beautifully laid out in the in the play is that um, 
you know, the, the diff possible differences of uh, opinions, let's say, in politics uh, and, and, and societally, that, that the, on some level, the friendships, long-term friendships, on some level seemed so deep, and then they were discarded in, in a second. In a second. And so coming into 2022, I said, well, how am I going to write about this? A lot of people were like, are you writing? Are you writing? Are you writing? And, I, and when you go through something like that, the, it, it, the answer was absolutely not. I'm not writing this. I can't write a single page about it, you know, because um, I was too close. It was like on me. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I needed a little bit of distance, a, a framing device. I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And then I woke up at some point. I, I started noodling with a play, a new play. That was going to be this discussion, sort of like a, a two-hander or a three-hander. That would be a single conversation between old friends who had been uh, sort of torn apart by the events of 2020. And I thought that's an interesting conversation to have. I have someone very specific in mind who became, who was a dear friend who became really quite toxic to me and, uh, and was saying awful things and just really, it was a terrible situation. And I thought it would be really interesting if I could get that guy in a room and we could have that conversation. Now, he won't have it. So I was forced to imagine it. Mm. And then I woke up this summer, literally 1 a.m., 2 a.m. at some point. I went, they're the same play. <laughs> I can yeah. take what I wrote in 2018, get rid of the sort of irreverent tone, because this, now we're talking about real life again. It's somewhat serious. And I can talk about all of this in one play. And that play, it's a newly conceived outrage, and that's what we're opening next weekend. So, yes, I re, uh, took the material from 2018, adapted it to 2020, and basically it's an autobiographical story. I mean, very much based on things that I experienced with this one very long scene that is just an imagining of a conversation I'm not allowed to have. And well, you know, it's, it's, and that's with and that's with the character Tom, right? Correct. Correct. Um, uh, and he's an, an old friend and they haven't seen each other. So right. the first act takes place leading up to the cancellation. So you see the guy as a teacher, you see how he deals with people, you see the conversations he's having with students. And I had to create a framing device that wasn't about George Floyd. I needed a, uh, I needed a racial incident in, in the society that could be debated. I honestly felt George Floyd, the nature of the incident I don't know anyone who's taking the cops' side on that. You know, it's just so yeah, yeah, no, and it's just too it, hot to and, handle. Yeah, and it locks me into a date and a time. Right. So I basically created this whole story takes place. Uh, I, I call it uh, COVID adjacent. You know, <laughs> yeah, I like tr that. Trump adjacent, what? COVID adjacent, where I could <laughs> arrange events that in a way that served the play and didn't have to be documentary to history itself well well you know what it, it's interesting you say that um alan because what 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 i loved about the play first of all it is it is it is beautifully uh, uh constructed i i think that's my opinion that it and and um and it's 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 going to uh entertain audiences and it's also might it might be challenging too and but what i liked about it is um and d paul and i have talked about this a lot and i think we have I think we, you know, you, you and we have talked uh, about it as well. Is the the difference between uh, politics? Uh, how many times politics um, can destroy art because art is 
um, you know, when, when politics gets into art, it becomes this just pedantic, uh, you know, banging you over the head uh, kind, kind of thing no, to drive ag- it. The, to drive agitprop to drive something home but what i love mm. love about the play and i would encourage people uh, in and around los angeles to um, to come and see it is is that it's it it's and i think you said about not using george floyd or the incident in 2020 is you've made it a more personal it a, a personal journey of someone as you just indicated uh of someone who, with long-term deep friendships, that differences of opinion rendered or can render these friendships, just they can di- disappear at the drop of a hat and the pain that that causes and also the questioning, you know, the, the, yeah. po- the, the post-war questioning of, well, what was this friendship anyway if it meant on some level so little? So it's the personal aspect to me that I love it, as it, and it's not a quote unquote political play. Do political opinions come into it? Yeah, but that's not the focus. At least that's the way I see it. What, what, do, what do you think? Yeah, I. Well, I mean, is I, that what I, you were striving for? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So Act One basically leads you to the cancellation, and then Act Two takes place two years later and deals with the ramifications of it. And uh, and Act Two starts with basically a, a, almost a mini one act play within the larger play, you know, a 26 page scene or something between these three old friends as they try to uh, figure it out why they haven't, why they haven't been talking. The two friends, me and Tom, the, the lead character and Tom, and Doug. then there's a mutual friend who's trying to bring them together. Yeah. That's the Doug character. That's the Doug character. Who creates the intervention? <laughs> exactly. He, he brought them together <laughs> to try to re- resolve this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the writing of it, I had to, because when you start writing, I'm pissed, right? Um, and, and I had to constantly check myself to ensure that the arguments I was presenting coming at the lead character, whose name is Ethan, which is who's basically me, a version of me, right? Uh, that those arguments were uh, sincere and uh, I think on point to what those people would actually say, what they actually believe, because they believe they're doing the right thing, and um, and that it wasn't me sort of twirling my mustache and poking fun at them, but really trying to get to what they believe about the situation or about me Uh, because then you have a play that anyone can go and watch and you don't have that uh uh, deep paul what you're saying sort of the agitprop propaganda-esque uh what what my mentor milton Gonzalez Mm. used to call a thesis play correct um, where (laughs) you're just trying to lay out an opinion i really wanted to get into the back and forth of it so this Mm -hmm. is not a play that is merely friendly to people who would be the audience for you guys in your podcast. Although it certainly is that, and that is rare. I have found in the theater that people who have the general points of view that even the three of us, and I'm sure the three of us would differ. If you give us a topic, we could find differences. But if you were to say there's a general point of view that the three of us have, and that a lot of your audience has, I have almost never heard it in the theater presented. No, yeah. Honestly, uh, with intelligence and with sort of integrity to that point of view. It's always poked fun at <laughs> yeah, or yeah. made to be like, oh, someone has that point of view, but they're also uh, a gap-toothed 
racist with a pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's always some agenda there where, yeah, the point of view exists, but but they're a diminished person. And, and, but, and, but, artistic, but artistically, it's, on, it's, it, it, it's really on a human level, which, and we've talked about this a lot to me, the reason people love art, whether it's theater, yeah. uh, paintings, or music, or, or something, it, 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 it elevates the human spirit, whether it's, whether it's, neg- whether it's dark or, or not. And what I love about this play and what you were just saying, you know, that people with opinions such as ours are generally made to be the, you know, like you said, the gap-toothed buffoon and, 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 and points, our point of view is always uh, sort of looked askance at, uh, sort of with the, with the you know, the, the, self, the self-righteous smirking of, of the other yes. side. And that's what I love about this play mm-hmm. is it lays out in, in a smart uh, em- emotional and thought, well thought out way, what comes from our side for the most part. Yeah, and, yeah. That's, and what let, we experience. And from... let's add, let's add for our listening audience. Um, it's a very funny play too. It's very oh, witty. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> it really, yeah. It, it 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 really is. It's charming in that sense. I want to do something though because I found a a paragraph. In it, as a playwright, I kind of look for these uh, boom light bulb moments. And this was one as, a, as I was reading it. And it's just four or five sentences. And I'm going to read it and let you and Alan and Philip respond to it. Because I found it chilling um, in its uh, perception. And it, it, it comes, uh, the, the, the quote comes from your former student, Uh, who meets you at a restaurant. It's Brian. And Brian says to you, uh, Ethan, that knowing you, that was probably it. The relationship was over, but I just, I'm I'm, I'm running into you now. And I I wanted to say, I didn't know what to do, man. I, I, I didn't know what to defend. We all felt trapped. Like, to watch this place we've all been part of for years. And it was like, home, man, I spent more time at the theater than half the apartments I lived in combined. And do I watch it go down or stand up or or do what? It was lose one guy, lose one theater, or lose all my friends. That math, I didn't know what to do. So I didn't do anything. I guess I hope you understand. Yeah, that is one of my favorite moments in the play. Um, and, wow. and his it's been rewritten to be uh, even slightly more effective than, yep. than that draft that you guys have. Yeah. But it's a killer moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, event yeah. Yeah. Uh, when my wife and I were eating in a restaurant and one of these people who had signed this letter to take me to task back in 2020, he was actually working at the restaurant. Um, Oh no, kidding! Which, which yeah. I didn't, I didn't oh, put in the play because that required yeah, 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 no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> uh, it, it would almost although be although that I never know that might have been a nice touch. Really, <laughs> no, no. I, I think people would have thought it it was too unbelievable. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. But he actually came up. Uh, he was a you know and and kneeled at the table, and we had this conversation. Oh, holy much, much of it here at the uh, in the yeah. script, um, but that was the what he was trying to express, you know, he let off with, there was a lot of love there. <laughs> and I remember saying a lot of love where, um, and, uh, it's just one of those conversations that you, you walk away from. And if you're a writer, you think that would be, 
that's a good scene. What just happened is a really good scene. I don't know where, I don't know in what context, but that is a good scene. So as the play unfolded in my mind of like, how would I actually do it? And I got the hook earlier this year. I went, oh, that's the structure. I knew Mm -hmm. exactly where that scene would fall. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you you picked up on it and appreciate that moment because I've told the actor... (laughs) In rehearsals this week, I said, this is one of the most important paragraphs in the play. Oh, amazing. <laughs> don't screw is, it up. Yeah. Well, partly, yeah, don't screw it up. <laughs> yeah. But partly I said, that's one of the paragraphs that is yeah. thematic. Now, yeah. I could I could stand up or I could lose all my friends. I yeah. didn't know what to do. The math sucked, so I didn't do anything. Yep. That, I think, speaks to a huge chunk of what's going on that's wrong. And we're all, <laughs> vul- and we're all vulnerable to it. In For some- sure level For sure. and so it, there, there is something deeply human in your observation there that uh all of us are reflected at on some level yeah do we do that sometimes do we actually do the math do we say that but if i do this that that boom 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 rather than just saying what is the right thing to do yeah and that's what was most disappointing in the in my life was how many how, how, how many older friends, older both in age and thus maturity and hopefully kind of knowing about the world and what the world requires of you sometimes. Yeah. And old and just duration of the friendship. How many of those, which was really virtually 100%, I mean, close to 100% yeah. failure rate on showing up, saying something, defense, putting themselves at risk to redress what I considered to be an obvious injustice happening against me in the school, it was, it was a, <laughs> it was seriously disappointing. And then I, I don't know if it's in the draft that you guys have. I, in the scene with Tom, mm-hmm. I talk about that. You know where I say I, I do some math. Who's the asshole? The the guy who is, is it all these people who failed the test, or is it the guy who is relying on those people? And uh, uh, yes, yeah. because I didn't want it to be a blame thing. And I didn't want it to be like, oh, Ethan, the lead character has this script and no one follows it. Well, why doesn't anyone follow it? Where, where is Ethan off on his calculations about what people are willing or not willing to do? Because that's the honest conversations I've had with myself as I walk the dog over the last two or three years. Like, where was I off here? Was I off? Did I miss I misjudged all of these relationships. That's unsettling when it goes for 10, 20, 30 years. Well, you know, that's the 10, 20, 30 years you've built your career and the relationships of your life. And you're like, I think Mm. I'm seriously screwed up here. Mm. I I think Mm. there's an aspect, I think there's an aspect of it. And I deal with this with uh, uh, actors that I teach. Um, And and, and I I see a parallel. Um, Most actors want it to be easy, you know, just, you know, they want to play the scene, you know, without, without any kind of, um, challenge or, or going deep into their own doubts and, and, uh, possibly against, um, what they think it should be and just going the easy way. What's easiest I, I, as opposed mm-hmm. to putting the effort out. And maybe right. there's an aspect, I don't know if, if you both, you guys think there's any, anything here is that I, 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 I think people, it, it's, it takes a lot of courage to, to put yourself out there 
and examine yourself, as you said, Allison, as a, uh, I'm sorry, Alan, and, and as opposed, as, well. yes, <laughs> I know you know <laughs> Allison as well, yes, <laughs> as, as opposed to just, you know what, it's easier if I just stand back, like the character you said in the restaurant, it, yeah. it requires something of you. Yeah, and and we're all susceptible right, to right. that. It yeah. requires it requires some human courage as opposed to just well, you know, I'll make it easy. I'll just I'll, I'll just go along with the crowd and, you know, I, I, I stay out of the line of fire. In other words, and I also think it's just pure raw, uh, sort of the fragility of their ambitions in Hollywood. If they take well, a stand, too, will yeah. it cost them <laughs> with someone who would call them in for an audition or represent them? I think it's it, it is a raw built-in fear of offending those who might hire you. Well, one thing for sure, we can we can say definitively, there ain't another show opening next week like this in Hollywood. For sure. For I mean, sure. it's just... That I, that I can pretty much guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I this will be... Uh, it, it, it's really a beautiful play, uh, and, and, and I will be very interested to see what the reviews are, not in terms of how they approach the review, you know what I mean? The, mm -hmm. who, who, who might actually have the, uh, uh, the brains and the courage to approach it as a piece of work, as a piece of art, yeah. as a theatrical yeah, piece, yeah. as opposed to, you know, uh, snatching at the politics of it and like, <clears throat> let's say, the LA Times, which is a leftist rag, you know, and 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 yeah. and um, you yeah. know, just following through on 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 what the with the LA Times point of view. You know what I mean? It's going to be interesting to see who will review it in a really honest way. Hey, hey, yeah. hey well, I, my, I, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Alan. Go ahead. I I no, just have I have a technical question, sort of as a as a playwright uh, regarding it that I found interesting. Uh, by the time we get to really the closing scene. Uh, scene eight is yeah. when the character Murray comes in. Yeah, I'm and risk there. <laughs> and and what was so interesting is, and again, this is just all of my playwright uh, uh, bells and whistles going uh, off uh, in terms of structure and blah 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 blah. And at first, I thought, wow, this kind of feels like a non sequitur. In and then, as we moved into it. It was sort of, uh, I don't want to get artsy-fartsy here, but almost a, a coup de théâtre where everything turns around and you are in front of somebody who, who by the way, if the, if the actor, whoever you got, flakes out, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm no good for the other one I read, but boy, this Murray one, you could eat up the scenery on. It is oh, a... The, the actor I have it, in it is going to annihilate that scene. <laughs> he, uh, he was off book before any other actor. He knew the demand of this part, and he is absolutely... Uh, he cannot wait. Let's just yeah. say that. He, he, well, he, 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 he comes at rehearsals as a guy like who, he cannot wait for this. <laughs> good, good. But, That's but, the kind of actor I love who, yeah. who, but, sho who shows up to do the gig. But, yeah. but, but you found your way in that, and then by the time you get to the end of it, you realize how reflectively it, it perfectly works, bringing yeah. uh, Crazy Murray in. Yeah, it was a risk to introduce a new character in yeah. the final scene, not much less a, a character who dominates the scene. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, I but thought... also, it, 
it also to me it's someone you know the the rest of it are all your you know the 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 arts the artsy fartsy people you know the ones who yeah. like you were saying Allison uh, Al, God I keep saying Allison <laughs> Alan um, um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know worried about how they're gonna you know their career and how uh, you know who whose side to take in the career and all the all the sh all the showbiz stuff and this character of Murray is just a regular guy he's just a regular person separate and apart from all of that highfalutin. Uh, yeah stuff and and that's what i love about what that character adds to the piece of just a uh, the the point yeah. of view of of of, of joe joe every jones man. the, the yeah. every every man yeah it's yeah. wonderful and, it's wonderful uh, well i just thought if we were taking the story to its logical conclusion in a way the ethan cannot win mm -hmm. and i i didn't want a sort of a conventional happy ending that protected me or make had me come out on top and make it seem like a vanity piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to sort of take, I wanted to be like, what would be the logical conclusion of all this stuff? Um, that, and that he ends up in a warehouse in, in Van Nuys with a, this guy yeah. who is a mirror image of himself, but from outside of Hollywood. Right. Right. Guy doesn't know F all about Hollywood or, uh, or could care about, less either and about couldn't it, care yeah. less other than the money he can get from production companies for location <laughs> shoots you know like, <laughs> I just uh, and the idea that Ethan has been talking for however many pages by the time we get there 85 pages whatever it is and all of a sudden he's he's in the position of not talking and it's all been taken away and he starts yeah. seen off wearing a mask yeah and uh, and has been beaten down uh, economically and otherwise to find himself in this mm -hmm. position. And then I've added an element that I don't think is in your guys' draft that mm -hmm. I think will uh, seal the deal in terms of what that scene does, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, I've always yeah. loved the idea of that scene. I've had to defend it against a few people who were like, why is this here? And I yeah. said, just wait, just wait. You'll see. Hang in there. You'll, 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 you'll see. Well, I, 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 I'm sure D. Paul agrees uh, on paper, uh, meaning reading it. Uh, this, it, it it's, a, it's a wonderful piece, and uh, we're both very excited for you. And, uh, and uh, we're looking, I'm, looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it in person, being that it's here in town. And uh, we wish you the absolute uh, best of luck with it, Alan. And thank, thank you, you for sharing that. You, you think we're done. Job. We're not done. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to do a segue here. In the yeah, beginning but can, I, of, can I just, before you do a segue, just real quickly, because yeah, I, I want to make sure those who are listening, myself, I've got a little trip planned to L.A. Give us the time frames one That's more time. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, we open this coming Friday on the 20th and we're going to run very likely to the final Sunday before Thanksgiving, which is November 20, whatever. Okay. Uh, so that's five weeks, Friday, Saturday nights at eight, Sundays at seven at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. You can go to the Beverly Hills Playhouse website and there's a banner there that would take you to our production entity, which is called Crimson Square. Uh, theater company, or you can go to Crimson Square, one word, dot org, and uh, you'll find a, a link there to buy tickets and the show schedule there as well. Well done, sir. And Wonderful. Mazel, Thank mazel, you. Mazel tov in advance. Thank you, and I apologize I for, for... A, No, I, and I just want to say to you guys, it's a wonderful bookend to get to talk to you on this side when we started talking because of the cancellation yes. uh, in 2020 that Absolutely. sort of, I guess, three years later, there's a... Uh, there's some lemonade 
to have come out of it, which is mm. hopefully this play. Mm. And to be yeah. able to talk to you guys about that and have stayed friends uh, over these three years, that's been uh, uh, a nice thing for me. So I appreciate you guys as well. Like well, you know, you have, uh, you have in the beginning of the play, uh, you have a, a quote from Eric Fromm. Uh, and the quote yeah. is, there is perhaps no phenomenon which contains so much destructive feeling as, quote, moral indignation, unquote, which permits envy or hate to be acted out under mm. the guise mm. of virtue. Mm. And the reason I'm, I read that is we're also mm. going to chat uh, because you're certainly a man of the world, uh, uh, Alan, is... And uh, wanted to just uh, hit a you know for a few minutes uh, um, on on what's going on in Israel um, and what has been going on for a week now I guess and um, and seeing not only the actual events um, that have unfolded but but uh, but the fallout the the reaction by the media by universities. And, uh, and, and it, it, I, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, start off with one, something that Deep Paul said the other day, we were in private conversation, you know, uh, the, 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 the self-righteousness of the media and, um, and, and universities, you know, with their canceling you, if you use a wrong pronoun, you don't get to talk at our university. And yet at the same time, it's like the lid has come off the phony baloney lid has come off and huge major universities are 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 in some instances physically attacking jewish students so you know that the, the underlying hatred not only for jews and israel but the 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 absolute hypocrisy of their self-righteousness when it when push comes to shove they are as evil as Hamas, in, 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 at, least, at least morally. Anybody want to jump in there? Well, uh, it's been, uh, there's nothing about the last week that is fun. I mean, oh. it, it's oh. a horrific event. It's like, a, it's a 9-11 style magnitude event, particularly if you were to extrapolate the demographics and the numbers involved as a percentage of population. Right, right. It's even bigger than 9-11. Yep. Um, so there's nothing fun about any of this so when i was going to say it's fun to see uh, it it's it's couched in that context but it is fun to see the left turn in on itself and reveal its inherent contradictions yeah uh where all of a sudden harvard's new president is uh extolling the virtues of free speech <laughs> yeah um yeah. when it comes to protecting uh it's students who want to be apologists for Hamas. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to see those students have their fancy, highly paid corporate law positions withdrawn. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you saw that story. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes. They, they've been hired by these fancy law firms because they're so concerned about social justice, of course. They, they need to go earn a quarter million a year first year out doing corporate law for banks, um, <laughs> they, uh, they're losing those positions. Uh, the, and are flabbergasted. They're what? flabbergasted. What do you mean? And then Harvard <laughs> has to tack back and say, well, uh, they're trying to thread this needle. And uh, meanwhile, as you said, uh, Phil, that uh, 
if you had used the wrong pronoun, if you were to wear a Trump shirt or anything on campus, you would be subject to immediate consequences uh, on the very grounds of free speech versus safe speech and hate speech. Uh, So to watch them turn in on themselves, to see the number of... um, like in the in the LA community, I imagine there are a number of very liberal Jewish people who uh, who supported BLM and and, and far left causes, and then those organizations are going out and standing by Hamas, and it puts the people who supported those organizations in a very uncomfortable position. Uh, so all of these inherent contradictions are being revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that's lemonade. Uh, It's a very unfortunate. um, So when I say it's fun to watch, it's not fun to watch. It's just just it's very revealing. Yeah, I I use a word sometimes on the uh, on 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 the podcast uh, that uh, to pick up on what what you're saying is that there's something delicious about watching this happen, you know, um, of 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 all these people, you know, you know, I, I have a thought. I have a thought. You know how um, uh, the the left everything is about uh, victim victimhood <clears throat> and the oppressed and the oppressor and uh, whether whether it's black or or trans or all of this stuff. I came to the conclusion this week that the uh, um, Palestinians, mostly under Hamas, who they do not have not tried to get rid of, so they are perfectly happy living that way. That, that the uh, Palestinians are in the way of thinking of the media and the, uh, and, the, um, and the academy, the aristocracy of victimhood. They are sort of the, 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 the prime example. They are the ultimate because uh, not only because they are oppressed in their way of thinking, but they are oppressed by colonialists and white people and Jews. So the, the, the support on college campuses and, and in the media is almost like they, they, they are the cream of the crop in terms of checking every victim box. And and fortunately, I believe the way they have done it, whereas, you know, go back to, we've all read this, you know, uh, Hitler and the Nazis, they, they, they tried to hide their atrocities. They didn't want it to come out. It came out later on in the, Hinden, in, in the Nuremberg trials, whereas these people are showing it to us on, the social, on social media. Look at us burning babies. Look at this as if they're proud of it. And they are still defended by the left. Yeah. Yeah. There is uh, a fascinating article uh, by Andrew McCarthy, uh, who certainly has a good mind, uh, even though we don't agree with him all the time. But he uh, wrote, I think it was in in our uh, National Review, that Hamas operatives are not militants, they are jihadists. And I just want to quote a quick paragraph, gentlemen, to move our conversation along and Really interested, Alan, in any further thoughts you have. But he writes, we need to see clear that these are jihadists catalyzed by a fundamentalist Sharia supremacist interpretation of Islamic scripture. Otherwise, we'll never understand their objectives 
the atrocious lengths to which they will go to achieve them, and the need to defeat them utterly, because there can be no modus vivendi with them. And I think, and there is absolutely no pleasure uh, in this just week of horror for our brothers and sisters in Israel and for literally seeing this, this blatant explosion of anti-Semitism that has been literally under, under the lid there. And I, I, I have just finished uh, an essay. I'll be publishing it tomorrow uh, on the complicit church because I really feel in some ways we have set up, and I'm now talking about the church, a, a, almost a new blood guilt that here this slaughter can take place in Israel, and yet it is the perpetrator who is praised and defended. And it's almost like, oh, yes, Israel and the Jew deserves it. They have to take upon themselves the sins of the world again. There is something so profoundly, deeply evil and pernicious about what we've seen this past week. And so to me, the exposure of it allows us to act on it and to be a voice. I, I quote Bonhoeffer in this piece I'm writing, and I'll, I'll just mention it to you, gentlemen, and then I'll be quiet. He wrote at the end before he was hanged at Flossenburg concentration camp two weeks before the end of the war, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for participating in an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. And, of course, he knew, he knew that he himself and the church, 90% of them that swore allegiance, I will be true and obedient to the Fuhrer. Ninety percent of the church basically swore obedience to Hitler and the Nazi regime. But he said, only he who shouts for the Jew can sing the Gregorian chant. And we need to be shouting right now. We need to be shouting is what I believe. Yeah, well, I think it's a, an outgrowth of 30 years at least but that's my sort of adult life coming out of yes. college. Um, 35, if you include the time at Harvard, where when I got there in 1986, for blank, blank <laughs> sake, they were doing their divestiture from Israel movements way back then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I remember it landing there, and there were demonstrations about something going on with. Israel and divesting from Israel and divesting from investments. <laughs> you know, so yep. this has been going on for a long time. Decades, a, decades. Decades of uh, moral relativism. The question I have, which would lead us into a new area that we don't have time for, but is this a design? You know, has this moral uh, weakness, is this the result of a long-term design if you were going to take down the United States and the West, you take down their, you can't take them down militarily, certainly not the U.S., and you can't invade us. 
mm-hmm. but you can take us down morally. You can take us down in the education system. You can take us down on economy and that we're not maybe seeing 30 years of diligent work and the realization of diligent work in academia and throughout the system mm-hmm. of, uh, of a moral relativism and a moral weakness and, uh, and various mm. other tactics mm. that would lead you to observe what is going on out there. Um, uh, I, I want to draw no uh, connection to the, the, the initial topic, which was my play, because it's such an insignificant Oh, I think there is a connection. And Philip, you mentioned it brilliantly. I I, I do as well. I don't want to have a comparable. No, no, no. We understand. Absolutely. You know, it's just, it's the same thing. There's a moral weakness. There's an inability to stand up and see what's going on and identify it and say something and not quibble about, well, who, who is it more beneficial for me to defend at this moment? Mm -hmm. Um, There's actually a, again, it's hilarious. I'll say it's hilarious. There's a YouTube video of this guy doing a satire on an LA actor doesn't know who to who to root for in the current Israel Palestinian conflict. And this guy is very, very clever. It's really I'll send it to you guys privately. It's oh, please do. (laughs) uh, It's spot on satire of this guy saying like, well, normally when I want to know what's right, I go along with the gay people. But the gay people are are, are raising flags for this. And he's doing man on the street interviews. It's really it takes all these inherent self contradictions and and makes it funny. And and we need it, you know, like with a, a week like this, you need something to to hang on to sometimes. But that's my thing is, has this been designed? Is this Mm. 30 years of intentional? uh, Or is this just the process of a late stage democracy and a certain economic system where it's that thing you see, you know, good times make for good people. I think it's, I I think it started and we've talked about this on the air a lot. And it's, it's an old topic of conversation, but still is true, is that one of the outgrowths of the 60s uh, with a uh, radical in the sixties of uh, Bill Ayers and those people saying that the main thing you have to do is you got to get into academics, academia, you got to get into, and that has been taken over from the universities down through now with all this, uh, uh, all, all, all the, the, the trends and the pronouns and things down into elementary school and how anything goes. Now, this is, this is, this is, this has been a, this has been a, I believe, a a a, a very purposeful force um, that mm-hmm. has been going on. And what happens in so many societies, and, and what's happening in our society, I believe, is you know Joe Blow on the street, you know, trying to make a living with his family and take the boat out on the weekends. They don't think about this, and and you know, and, and it sort of sneaks in there and it infects it like like a disease. And I think one of the things I, which I hope I don't know if it's going to happen. One of the beautiful, funny, as you said, uh, Alan, things that uh, has happened this week is that the mask has come off, and this is what these people stand for. Yes, they will. They will put up with. They will put up with not only killing, uh, getting rid of Israel, but killing Jews. This, this is, this is the Holocaust all over again. So it never went away. And the only thing I would say is I, that it has been a bit of a surprise to me in this last week, is the 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 enormity of the uh, 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 
university uh, um, uh, pushback of coming out in 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 favor of the uh, of Hamas. I thought there'd be some. Pe it's 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 pretty 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 astounding. The stag yeah, it's, it's staggering them because a lot of the fundraising from these universities <clears throat> does not come from Hamas. Let's just say that <laughs> uh, Hamas does not donate tens of millions, sometimes even hundreds of millions. Um, so but Saudi I'm Arabia hoping, does. I'm, I'm hoping it'll hit yeah. them in the pocketbook. And, yeah, and then maybe yeah. you'll, you'll see a little bit of sudden a sudden moral awakening for the wrong reasons, but maybe sometimes you'll take it even if it's for the wrong reason. I think the connection between actually uh, and coming full circle back to your play was interesting to think your title is Outrage and yesterday was the the day of rage, right? Yeah. Amas has said, and in some ways... Both entities, you see, with Hamas, etc., this is their religion. This is their heaven. This will be their crown and glory. And so they work out of a moral vacuum. And yes, I understand you're right in terms of uh, making, making a, a, an absolute equation morally, but still what was fascinating to me in your play was that so many of the people have made politics literally their god, literally their religion, yeah. that if you do disagree with them, well, you do have to be canceled. You are, you know. And, 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 and so there is that, uh, that rage that comes up that for most of us who, yeah, love the body politic, love the dynamic, love the diversity of thought and everything else. We, we just assume that this is what is health, but for them, it is life or death. Yeah, it's binary. You just said it. I was about to say it's, it's this yeah. very binary thing. If you voted this way, done. That's all they need to know. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a curious and disturbing development. You know, uh, to to put a button on this, I know we're going. I, I think you're both familiar with um, uh, um, um, uh, Douglas Murray, British uh, yes. British conservative. Yeah, British. sure. He, I, I saw I saw something fantastic this morning. Some some on some British TV show. Some woman was uh, interviewing him and talked about. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the word, you know, one for one equal, you know, proportionality. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Well, don't you believe there should be proportionality, uh, you know, with the, is, uh, with the, with the Israelis and, and going into Gaza? There shouldn't there be proportionality. And he went on and said it so beautifully. He said, he said, okay, you want proportionality. Okay, so we, the Jewish, the, the, the IDF, we will go into Gaza and find a music festival. And he joked, he says, yeah, try and find a music festival. And we will, we will, we will kill 260 of them, just like they killed 260 of ours. 260 of them. Then we will go into the little village where the, the uh, I forget the name of the, um, the kibbutz where the, the horrors happened. And we will take only uh, the exact yeah. amount of babies uh, in Gaza and cut their heads off, the ones that had their heads cut off. In, you know, it, 
literally one for one. And the way he put it was, he said, is that the proportionality you yeah, want? That you and, want yeah. and so yeah. it, was, it was astounding because he was, he was commenting on that. The, that's, that's what the UK does in its way is that everything has to be proportionate and, and uh, reasonable, you know, so. Well, I'm just glad your alma mater, uh, Harvard, uh, Alan, is getting a little. Uh... <laughs> Feeling the heat. <laughs> They're feeling the heat. They they really are. And and again, I can't tell you how excited I am as a fellow playwright. Uh Philip is the screenwriter extraordinaire and uh I dwell uh in this lowly uh plays are sort of my 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 thing on so many different levels. I'm so excited for you that you have found your voice that you have been able to take and spend time, yes, walking the dog, yeah. uh, as you say, <laughs> reflecting on all of this that hit, I know Philip, I know me in our own distinctive ways, but with many common, common uh, commonalities that you experienced, we experienced too. And uh, God bless you for your courage and tenacity and um, the fact that you've got a loving family and others around you. We're just, we're, we're delighted for you. Thank you. I appreciate you, Paul. Thank you guys again so much for having me on and letting me uh, talk about it. And it's when it was happening and, uh, and again, to see this bookend of the other side of it and that maybe there's some lemonade to have been been made so i hope uh, i can't uh, wait to see it well yeah, and uh, and i may be able to squeeze i may be able to see it as well boy that would be a hoot and oh a that holler. would be so fantastic if you could come out um, yeah i i i uh yeah we'll see if that can't happen so just again reminding everybody it opens it opens outrage next friday night that is october the 20th 8 p.m curtain is that right alan that is correct and uh, that's at the famed Beverly Hills Playhouse. And what's that website if anybody wants to go to it? Uh, you can find it. Uh, it's easy because Beverly Hills Playhouse, if you go to our website, bhplayhouse.com, there's a link there. We have a production entity called Crimson Square. And you could also go to crimsonsquare, one word, dot org, and you'll find information there as well. Splendid. Thank you. Curious. There it is. Oh, no, the bell. <laughs> that ubiquitous bell reminding us, folks, and that it is time to say goodbye to all of our listeners and uh, in way of reminder, friends, regardless, even in the horror of this past week, whatever is going on, um, we do live in a great country, and uh, by far, en masse, we are supportive of Israel. And uh, let's... Let's keep our voices. Uh, let's keep our voices clear. We've got so much to be thankful for. Thankful for you, Philip, and again, Alan. Thank you for joining us. We will have to have another, shall we say, rendezvous post the play to talk yeah. about whether you're still standing and whether exactly. the playhouse has been. <laughs> yeah, right. So we'll see what this does. <laughs> yeah. So till we meet again, this is. And let's all three give our names, D. Paul Thomas and... Philip Charles McKenzie and our guest... <laughs> Alan Barton. Yes, sir. Yes, thank you, you folks, and inviting you to join us next week for another podcast of Entering Stage Right.